0: in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Through him all things were made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. This morning, we are celebrating Palm Sunday. Celebrating Palm Sunday. Can we put that PowerPoint up there, if that's all right? Palm Sunday. So today, what we're going to be exploring and talking about is what is the significance about Palm Sunday? Why do we celebrate it? Why do we do it in the first place? And then also what we're going to be exploring is Jesus being the king. What's important about it? What's significant about Jesus being the king? Jesus being the king 2,000 years ago on this day as he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and now, what's the significance about that? And how does that change our life? And something that I've really enjoyed about my study through this passage and as we explore Palm Sunday is how the Word of God is an amazing story. It's an amazing love story of God's love for His people. God's love for you and for me. And it's an amazing story that we are actually invited into. We are a part of this story. It is our story, it is His story, Jesus' story, it is history. And today we're going to be exploring that history, that story of Jesus and how it actually impacts us and it transforms us and changes our life. So I want to invite you in. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to take, we're going to go back into the memory lane. We're going to go back to 2,000 years ago to the triumphant entry as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. So I want you to immerse yourself in the story. Try and find a character in the story. Maybe you're, you're a Pharisee, looking on from a distance, looking at Jesus coming in and not really being quite unhappy with what's happening in reality. Maybe you're one of the disciples following Jesus and and there's all these crowds running. Maybe you're someone in the crowd. Maybe you're someone bringing a palm branch and waving it or putting your cloak down before Jesus. I want to invite you into the story this morning. So we're gonna watch a clip from the John movie and it's only about a minute long, but I want you to really put yourself in the story because it's really gonna help us as we explore this passage this morning. So let's have a quick look. Uh, You guys can cue it when you're ready. Let's have a look to the screens. Let me pray for us as we continue in God's Word this morning. Thank you, Father, for your amazing Word, the Word of God that is alive and active. And Lord Jesus, you are alive today. And I pray, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, that you would reveal new things to us today. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you're continually transforming us, making us more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would continue as we journey into this week, looking at Good Friday. What does that represent? Looking at Easter Resurrection Sunday. What does that mean for us? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the King. And Lord, this morning, we want to exalt you and glorify you. Lord, help us to see you in a new way today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. Pray this in your mighty name. Amen. So our passage, just before our passage, in John 12 verse 12, that's what we're going to be reading today, we need to get some more context. What is actually going on? And here in John 12 verse 9, it kind of gives us a bit more context. So, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So, It is the festival of the Passover. So every year there's three big festivals and all the Jewish people would come to Jerusalem from all over. They would come to come and celebrate the Passover festival. And just a couple of days before this Passover... Something miraculous had happened. So most people at this stage would have heard of Jesus. Most of the Jews would have heard that there's something happening in their region. Someone that's been doing all these miracles. But now Jesus had performed the most amazing miracle. He had raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was dead for a few days. And so many people, so many eyewitnesses knew that Lazarus was dead. And now Jesus had performed this miracle. He had raised Lazarus to life. So people from all over were coming to see Jesus, but also to see Lazarus because he was now alive again. So people were really interested in what was happening. And so people started actually following Jesus. Maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is Messiah. For 400 years, the Jewish people were waiting. 400 years, not a word from a prophet, not a word from anything related to the Messiah. And so they were waiting in anticipation. Feel that sense of anticipation this morning as we come into the triumphant entry. Anticipating, is this the Messiah? Is this Jesus the Messiah? And unfortunately, the religious leaders, the chief priests, made their plans to kill Lazarus as well, it says. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The chief priests were not entertained. So Jesus was starting to get a lot more street cred. A lot of people knew about Jesus and they were following, starting to follow Jesus. And now they're saying, well, they started plotting in the previous chapters about how they were going to kill Jesus and get rid of their Jesus problem. But now also Lazarus is alive again. So like, well, might as well, we've got to find out a way to get rid of him too. So this brings us to our passage today. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, for the Passover, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They're like, ah, oh, is this the Messiah? Is this really Him? And they took palm branches and went out to meet Him, shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. I'm not going to do all the work here this morning, so I'm going to invite you guys into the story. So what is the purpose of these palm branches. So I want you to turn to one another. I've done my research as well. But what is the purpose of these palm branches? What do they represent? And why are they people waving them at Jesus? So let's turn to one another, just talk about it, and we're going to come back. So have a bit of a discussion amongst yourselves. What's the purpose of the palm branches on Palm Sunday? Any answers? Any thoughts? Signify royalty? Yep. Yep. Sense of royalty, honoring Jesus. What was the other significant thing about the palm branches? What did they represent? Any other thoughts? Any takers? Victory. Correct. So victory is what palm branches symbolize. So symbolised that Jesus was victorious. He was going to be victorious. So they were very excited about this Messianic king. And they thought Jesus was going to be victorious over the Romans, establishing a new rule, establishing again the kingdom of Israel. And so they were very excited. And that's why they got these palm branches and their cloaks. And they laid it before Jesus, honouring him as the new king that was coming into Jerusalem to take his rightful place as the king of Israel. And then Hosanna. What is that word? What what does it mean? So again, let's turn to one another. What does the word Hosanna mean? And why were the Jews shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna? This one some of you guys might know. Turn to one another. What does Hosanna mean? Sorry? The highest? Yep, yeah, the Hosanna in the highest. Yep, Hosanna in the highest. Any other takers? Praise. Prayers? Praise. Oh, praise, praise, Hosanna, praise, yes. Any other? Th- uh, sorry? A holy? Hooray, a holy hooray. Well actually the Jewish word, no sorry the Hebrew word for the word hosanna actually is the word yasha. And so what we find in Psalm 118, which is well known as the messianic psalm, talking about Jesus, is we find these words. In verse 25 in Psalm 118, "Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord for the house of the Lord. We bless you." Lord, save us. Hosanna. Save us now. Save us. That's actually what the word Hosanna means. If you look at the, the, the Hebrew word, yasha, is the word that they use here. And, and often in Psalm 118, in different translations to our English translations, they use the word yasha. You use the word Hosanna. So Lord, Hosanna. 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 Save us. Save us now. So the Jewish people were were really shouting, Jesus, save us, save us, save us from the Romans, save us from our oppression. We want to again go back to the good days of being the nation of Israel, being the top nation in the world. That's what they were shouting for and exclaiming the messianic king was going to come to restore the nation of Israel. We've discussed that last point there, the king of Israel. What does that actually mean? Mean, Jesus being the king of Israel. And again, the the Jewish people misunderstood what Jesus actually came to do. They misunderstood that Jesus was not just going to come to reestablish the kingdom of Israel, but it was actually to come and establish a new kingdom. Not one that is an earthly kingdom, but actually an internal kingdom that cannot be spoiled or fade away. In verse 14, it goes on, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion, talking about the city of Jerusalem, God's city. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Don't be alarmed. The disciples also did not understand. So not just the Jewish people, the disciples who followed Jesus for three years also did not understand what really was going on. So again, we see here: your King is coming. The Messianic King is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. What's the significance about Jesus coming in on a donkey's colt? What's the significance? What does it actually represent that Jesus came in on a donkey? So again, let's turn to one another, and we're going to explore the prophecy from Zechariah nine. 9 but let's, let's turn to one another. What is the significance of a Jesus coming in on a donkey's colt? Coming in humbly. Any other thoughts? Coming as the king of peace, the prince of peace, yes? Yep, that is definitely what the donkey represented. So this is in Zechariah 9, nine. This is the prophecy that Jesus fulfilled by coming in on the donkey. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter, Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So important... Sorry, did I say that incorrectly? A foal, not a fowl. A fo- <laughs> okay, my English has let me down. English second language, I'll just claim that. I can speak in Afrikaans if you guys wanted me to, but that wouldn't help us all this morning. So let me get that right. Is it a... A foal. Ah, huh, there you go. A gold foal. 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 Got it. Okay. I learned something new this morning. Great. What's the significance about this? What what, what is the significance about this donkey? Not just any donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. What's the significance? Well, really interesting, if we have to go actually back, completely back in the story, we have to go back to the Israelites in Exodus while they were under the oppression and in slavery to the Egyptians. So God wanted to see his nation released from Egyptian slavery. So the 10 plagues came. We all know the story. And the final one was the one of the Passover. And that's why they're celebrating this festival, the Passover festival. And God had told his, the Israelites on the 10th day of the first month, the 10th day of Nisan as it's called, that they were to go and find a lamb, an unblemished lamb, and take that lamb into their fold for four days. So on the first day of the Passover, which actually is Monday, tomorrow, they were to go, as the Israelites, and go and find a lamb. And they were to take it in and then on the fourth day, on the eve of the fifth day, sorry, on Friday, Good Friday, they were to take that lamb and they were to slaughter that lamb and take the blood and wipe it over the doorframe. And when the angel came that night, the, all those that weren't, did not have the blood. They, God actually took away the firstborns of the whole nation, in order that the Egyptian, um, the Egyptians might actually release the Israelites, as God had asked them to. And so this symbolizes the deliverance of God, God delivering His people, people of the Israelites. And Jesus is actually this symbol, the symbol of the Lamb of God. Did you guys catch that? So tomorrow. Jesus Jesus rides in on Sunday, Palm Sunday. Jesus is the King. The Lamb of God rides into Jerusalem. And then for four days, he spends time in the temple, teaching again and reminding people about who God is. So as the lamb, the blemished lamb, unblemished lamb, Jesus came in. Significantly, what a fowl, no, a a foal uh, represents here is that it's never been written on. It is unblemished. So Jesus actually came in as the unblemished Lamb of God. We know that Jesus was sinful. But it's so much more significant when you add in the the historical context of why this is significant. Jesus actually came in as the Lamb of God and then stayed in God's temple and teach there and preach there for four days, just as the Israelites would gather this little lamb. And then on the fifth day, as we know on Good Friday, Jesus on the eve of Good Friday, Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. The passage goes on in in John 12, verse 17. Now the crowd was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead and continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is getting us nowhere, the Pharisees said. The whole world is going after him. So the Pharisees had this Jesus problem, right? They were, what are we going to do with Jesus? He's performing all these amazing miracles. He truly could be the son of god but they did not want to believe it because they understood their understanding of who god was as the right understanding and they couldn't see jesus the messianic king right in front of them so they planned and constructed together this plan to murder jesus It's actually quite funny. When you go back one chapter before in John 11, we see here the Pharisees again, after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, we see the Pharisees conspiring. they were like, what are we accomplishing? They said. Here is this man performing many signs, like raising Lazarus from the dead. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And when the Romans will come, they will take away both our temple and our nation. They were concerned that as the Jewish people would revolt against the Romans, that the Romans would come and they would destroy them, uh, the whole nation of Israel, all of the Jewish people, and destroy their ability to worship God in their temple. So they were so concerned about the way they were worshipping, they, they did not want the Romans to stop them from doing that. In verse 49, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest at, the, at, the, at that year, he spoke up and he said, you know nothing. You do not realise that it is better for one man to die for the people than the, that the whole nation would perish. So Caiaphas, the high priest, actually makes this declaration and it actually ended up being true, right? Actually ended up being true. The fact that Jesus actually, one man, did die for all The people, Not just for the nation of Israel, but for all people, for all generations to come. Jesus was that sacrifice. So even funnily enough, the high priest at the time made this declaration and it ended up being exactly what had to happen in order that we might find our salvation in Jesus. And I guess that leads us to the fact that not only did the Pharisees and the Sadducees have a Jesus problem, we too have a Jesus problem. Because we need to make a decision, right? We need to make a decision. Was Jesus just important 2,000 years ago? Or was He actually truly the Messianic King that came and died on the cross for our sin? Therefore, we have a problem because we need to make a decision. Is Jesus King of your life? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Have you submitted everything to Him? See, just as the Pharisees here said, see, this is getting us nowhere. I wonder, is that maybe how you're feeling this morning in your faith? you like, oh, I've been following Jesus for a while or, or just for a short period of time, but I just don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. Like I've kind of plateaued in my faith and I'm, I'm not really going anywhere in my faith. But yet similarly to the things, the funny things the Pharisees say, they say, Look how the whole world has gone after Him. That's the invitation for us this morning. That invitation is open to us. Are we willing to go after Jesus? Are we willing to follow Him? So I believe if we plateau in our faith, we need to find the courage again to follow after Jesus. Jesus goes on to say in in John 12, in the same passage, Jesus turns and he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man, for Jesus, to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. We see here Jesus had to die in order that he might become the first fruits of all that might believe. Jesus was the only way in which we can find true atonement. See, sin pays off with death. So Jesus had to die in order that we might be able to find that life in Jesus, in order we might be able to find a new heart, not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh, made right before God because of our sin and our brokenness. Jesus says, anyone who loves their life will lose it. Or anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. As an invitation, Jesus then says, whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant also will be. Jesus is inviting us in. And similarly, I want to invite us into this story. The the most significant week of the most significant person that ever lived. invite us all into this story. Invite us into the Holy Week, coming together and seeking out Jesus, following Jesus to Good Friday, where He takes our sin and dies on the cross. And on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus arises again. And the amazing thing is that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the power of the Spirit, is that same power that lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us that same power is available to us through Jesus. Whoever serves me must follow me. What does that mean for us to follow Jesus wherever he goes? See, that wasn't the story for the Jewish people, was it? The Jewish people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna on Sunday. But on Thursday, they said, crucify him, crucify him. On Friday, crucify him, crucify this Jesus. How quickly their allegiance changed when they saw Jesus wasn't the king that they thought he was gonna be. But Jesus has already paid the penalty for us. And see, the invitation is open for us. Come follow me, follow me to the cross. Follow me to the cross. what it says in Mark 8, the cost of discipleship. It says, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny themselves, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. What does it mean to deny yourself? Say, God, I want to give my life to you. It is yours. You created me. My life is yours. What does it mean to take up our cross? It means to actually die to ourselves, to our sinful desires, to put ourselves on the cross as Jesus did in a figurative way and dying to our own sinfulness and asking Jesus, I wanna find new life in you and then to continue our life in following Him, asking Him to continually transform us, sanctifying us, making us more into into the imitation of Jesus. So the question again this morning is, Is Jesus king? Is he Lord of your life? Is he the king in all ways? Or is there certain things in your life you still haven't given over to Jesus? Parents in the room would would be able to understand what I'm going to be talking about now. The word no, we wish we could never teach Henry the word no, but unfortunately that was one of the first words that he learned. Um, And it's one of those things that parents often have to do. They have to say no. But this movie is kind of based around the premise that uh, uh, the parents agree to this. And as a family, uh, for a 24-hour period, the parents can't say no to anything. So they have to say yes to everything. So it's called A Yes Day and they made this movie about it, and it's quite hilarious. But it's, it's a 24-hour period, so it can't have any future implications, only for today. And so uh, you would say yes in everything. So it was quite funny. The parents had to dress up all funny, and the kids had this whole plan of all the activities they wanted to do, water balloon fights and, and eating bowls of ice cream and having a lot of fun. But what I want to say and challenge us this morning, maybe we should have a yes day. Maybe we should actually come to a place where we say yes to Jesus in all things. No, Jesus, no, no I, don't, I don't want to give over my finances. No, no. Jesus, I don't want to give over my, my, my issues with pornography or my, my sexual addiction. No, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to give up alcohol, Jesus. I don't want to give up these things. These things are too close to me. Well, maybe this morning it's, it's invitation for us to give up everything to Jesus. Yes, in all things. And the reality is, is that, That yes decision you make today is probably the decision you have to make every single day of your life. But also that yes decision actually does have future implications for you and for me. Implications that lead us to our eternal life in Jesus. A promise that there's a life outside of this life, a future life that we look forward to where Jesus would come back and restore all things, all the brokenness we see around us. A new kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, And see, we are invited in as citizens of that kingdom, citizens of heaven. So challenge for us this morning is, have you said yes to Jesus in all things? Have you said yes to him? Is he king of your life? Just the next slide there, Nick, please. We've been doing, as a men's ministry. we've been doing this amazing course called The Conquer Series. And it's about finding a freedom from sexual addiction. And the reality is that 70% of men have problems with pornography. We know that from statistics. And I guess it's one of those silent sins, right? Some of those things that are hidden hidden that nobody knows about. And so too, there are many other things that I think for all of us, there are some, some hidden sins, some things that we have not brought forward, things that we have not brought forward into the light. And it's been amazing to see the transformation that's happened and the light that, and the, 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 just the people looking light. They look as if the heaviness is off their shoulders as they come and they share their brokenness, share their issues with pornography, share the issues that they're having in their marriage because of it. And God can step into that sexual bondage and that brokenness and He can bring life into it. And I've seen that transformation happen over the last few weeks as we've been exploring just, Lord, I want to put you first. Lord Jesus, you can be king of my life. I don't want any of this stuff to distract me from you and from the plans and the purposes and the promises you have for me. So this morning, I want us to sit and spend some time and invite the band up and we're going to spend some time singing the song, Jesus is at the Centre. But I want you to sit and just think, because the reality is when we're willing to pray that prayer, that prayer, Lord, show me the areas of my life that's not fully given over to you, most likely the Spirit will reveal those things to you. If you allow the Spirit to work in that way, to reveal the things that's not of God, where Jesus is not fully King of your life, I want to invite us in this morning to again, to reconsider what Jesus has done, the price that He's paid for you. So this morning, as we shout, Hosanna, 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 Lord Jesus, save us. Allow Him to save every single part of your life. And when we say yes to Jesus, make that decision, we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, become a witness to so many others. If we allow His transformation work to transform your life, you can become a witness to thousands of people declaring Jesus as Lord of your life. Why do you live differently? Why have you changed these things? Why have you left these things behind? Because Jesus is Lord. Well, what does that mean? It means He's the King of kings, He's the Lord of lords who paid the price for my sin. The price of sin is death, but Jesus paid it all, past, present and future. We can stand in that promise today, stand in that victory, wave our palm branches. Jesus, you're victorious, you are King. Let's reflect, let's sit and refocus. Is Jesus the centre of your life?